and welcome everyone to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna, joined as always with Hooks Orpik himself, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. Welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us to episode number 35 of the Pensburg Podcast. And this one's pretty easy. This might be the fewest numbers we have to choose from of who's your favorite number 35 in Penguins history. Uh, only one real answer. I think I'm going Tom Barrasso, and I would be surprised if you don't do the same, Garrett. You're going Tom Barrasso? Look, look, okay. For, yes, I agree with you. There were only, like, you could probably count on both hands the total of how many people we had to choose from. You're going Tom Barrasso. I completely understand that. You know, he was he was the goaltender pre- during, you know, your, probably your early formative years of Penguins hockey. But, Jim, I'm surprised that you didn't go with Ty Conklin, the the MVP of the 2007-2008 uh. season and starter of the first ever Winter Classic for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, you know, he, he started off pretty slow, but I remember, you know, he had a pretty nice run by the by the time that season came to an end. I think he won like 18 or something like that, 18 games to finish the season. So, Jim, I'm pretty surprised you didn't go with Ty Conklin there, I the conk blocker. <laughs> yeah. All righty, we have, uh, we have a, a pretty jam-packed show to, 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 to talk about here. We have a lot of questions in the mailbag. We have a, a, a big piece of news that if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know what it is, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Uh, let's dive right into it and talk about the le- the last couple of games the Penguins have played since our last podcast was released. And we'll start on February 6th in a game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Jim, the Penguins were down in Florida having another one of those uh, Florida stretches of games against the Lightning and Panthers. And uh, Jim, I think there's a constant theme over these three games that we're going to cover and I, I, I think it is the Penguins really being tested uh, with the depth that they have, considering all of the injuries that the Penguins have sustained. Uh, no Brian Dumoulin uh, since our last podcast. Unfortunately, John Marino has uh, been injured with a couple of broken bones in his face. If, if it, I think it was his cheek area. But we'll get into that in a, in a couple of moments here. We'll talk about this first game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Jim, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning going out to a 2-0 lead in the first period and really never looked back in this game. Um, they were they went up 3-1 by the end of the second. Uh, the Penguins had a little bit of life in the third period, getting it to a 3-2 game. Uh, Tampa Bay got the empty netter to win 4-2. Looking at the scoreline, uh, Guinea Mulkett had a pretty nice game, two points, a goal and an assist with three shots on goal. Patrick Hornquist, two shots on goal with an assist as well. Uh, but Jim, like I said at the start, I think these games were really showed the the Penguins being stretched to their limits. You know, they they I think they really tried to compete. Uh, Tampa Bay, obviously one of the better teams in the league at the moment, one of the better teams in the East, and uh, I I really do think their lack of depth and the inj- all the injuries that they sustained have really started to leave their mark. You could really start to see chinks in their armor. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add in their first game that they played against the Tampa Bay Lightning on February 6th? Like you said, that kind of just felt like an uphill battle. And even in that game, when the Penguins got it back to 3-2 to two in the third period, they had a minute and a half of a 5-on-3 power play, and they failed to score on that. So beyond, I do agree with what you're saying, that the depth hurt them and, and kind of wears on them trying to play a, a very strong opponent who's now currently on an eight-game winning streak. So they're in great form down in Tampa, but it's very disappointing to be down a goal on the road, third period, have a long five on three and come up empty on that. That's pretty much 
oh, you need to know that a team isn't going to, after, after that chance goes by the wayside, they don't really win that game too often. So they couldn't find a goal there, couldn't find two goals there, couldn't find any at all. So no win, and then we move on to Saturday, I guess. We move on to Saturday, indeed, February 8th. The Penguins taking on the Florida Panthers, who have been really a surprise team in the Eastern Conference to this point. Uh, Really, you know, the the Panthers have been uh, consistent in mediocrity, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term. And uh, really, uh, by the end of this game, you know, their record was 29-19-6. We'll get into it here. The Penguins uh, took a 2-1 lead through the first period of play. Uh, Both the Panthers and the Penguins scored a goal each in the second period. And then after that, after the second period, the goal scoring really dried up. Uh, The Penguins win 3-2. There were a couple of good chances for the Panthers, one of them uh, being, I think it was one of the larger talking points, I think it was in the final minute of the third period, uh, Evgeny Dadanov had a chance to tie the game for the Panthers, and uh, it, it was not meant to be. Um, and he was a little bit irate. I think he wanted he wanted a, a penalty shot or a power play, something of the like, to as he felt he was being contested, getting that final shot off before the game came to an end. Chris Letang had a nice game, five shots on goal, two points, a goal and an assist. Teddy Bluger getting a goal as well. Sidney Crosby getting the third goal for the third and final goal for the Penguins to make it a three to two game, obviously. And uh, Jim, I think the the theme of this game was the Penguins really had to sweat it out. Uh, they they get the two points, which is big coming off the loss against the Lightning. Uh, but it, it really felt like if the Penguins had played a couple more minutes of that game, the Panthers. I I don't know. I, I feel like the Panthers could have probably tied that game and they could have probably gone into overtime. Uh, anything that caught your eye from the 3-2 victory over the Florida Panthers? Other than what you mentioned, Tristan Jerry in that game, really great, 35 saves on 35 shots. And to kind of tie into what you're saying, he was a really big reason of why they ended up winning that game because, yeah, um, Pittsburgh gets out to the 3-1 lead, and from there they just kind of coasted, it seemed like, or just were going to just cling to that lead for as long as they could. And... Like you mentioned, they made it count that at the end of the final buzzer at 60 minutes, they were still on top somehow. So, you know, on the road, and like you mentioned, Florida's been up and down. They're in the playoffs or out of the playoffs, but they have a pretty strong team, and they're kind of putting it together, I think. So certainly to win on the road this time of year against anyone is a good thing. So um, I don't think the Pens will be that mad about it. So they get the victory in Florida. They come back home and they meet up again with the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, and this one was really low scoring a 2-1 to one overtime loss for the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, Evgeny Malkin getting the lone goal for the Penguins with three shots on goal Sidney Crosby registering an assist with three shots on goal this game is important for the fact that it was the first game for the newly acquired Pittsburgh Penguin, Jason Zucker. We will get into that acquisition right after we are done recapping this Tampa Bay Lightning loss. Uh, for the Lightning, Mikhail Sergachev got the equalizer for the Lightning in the second period. The Penguins and Lightning go into overtime in this game. Yanni Gord gets the game-winning overtime goal for the Lightning. 2-1 to one victory for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, Jim... I don't know if this is the last game the Penguins or Lightning will play this season, but uh, it certainly felt like throughout the regular season that the Lightning have had Pittsburgh's number. And um, really low scoring, not a lot of really standout moments that I can remember. 
anything you want to add in the second game that the Penguins played between the Penguins and Tampa Bay Lightning? It is, in fact, the last Penguins-Lightning game of the season, which, thank goodness, um, the Pens did go no wins, two losses, and this one overtime loss in the season series, which isn't good. But the first game, um, they lost by one goal, and Chris Letang scored like right at the buzzer, but they couldn't really tell he scored, even though he probably did. So it has been close, and um, the game last week was an empty net goal, so that was kind of a one-goal win till the end for Tampa. And then last night in overtime, um, Again, really great goaltending and kind of a, a theme we're seeing develop for the Penguins here is every game this month, they have, I believe they have switched goalies going Murray, Jerry, Murray, Jerry. And Tuesday night it was Murray. And even though that Tristan Jerry was great, like I said a little earlier against Florida in the previous game, they went back to Matt Murray, which is interesting. But Matt Murray rewarded him. He was great in that game, 36 stops on 38 saves. Andre Vasilevsky was even better than him, and the Pens hit three posts and couldn't score, which is kind of bad luck, kind of unfortunate. So that kind of factored into the ultimate outcome, too, that maybe this just wasn't their type of night going against a great goalie and not getting the luck. So, yeah, that, that'll be it for the Tampa Penguins, unless they meet in the Eastern Conference Finals, which really would be a heavyweight type of, of series if we get there, and I don't, I think, you know, the likelihood of that is probably, you know, decent. You never know what could happen, but that could be down the line, a type of like seven game series that could go either way at the end. Yeah, I have memories, very, very vivid memories of the Penguins uh, playing the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm sure obviously you do and everyone else does of uh, on their way to capturing the Stanley Cup. Like you said, you described it perfectly. It would be a heavyweight battle. And, um, you know, if the Penguins are at full health, I think that's the big the big issue there. If the Penguins are at full health, I think it'd be a much more closely matched, evenly matched series. I think getting all those healthy bodies, skilled players back, not having to rely on guys like Anthony Agazzino, you know, career minor leaguers to round out your bottom six. But, uh, Jim, one person who we will focus on that the Penguins will hope gives them a nice spark into that playoff push, like we mentioned, is the newly acquired forward Jason Zucker, who was acquired a couple of days ago. Uh, I believe it was on uh, Monday by the time this podcast goes out. I, I, what was the date, Monday? I, I guess that doesn't even matter. The Penguins acquired their man, Jason Zucker, and the Penguins have been after Zucker for quite some time. Uh, Go, even going back to last summer, and it looked like he was about to become a Pittsburgh Penguin, and Phil Kessel was going to be traded to the Minnesota Wild before Kessel vetoed that trade. Kessel now an Arizona Coyote, and we know how the rest of that story played out. But Jim, after Jake Gensel went down with the injury that seemingly ended his regular season, if not the entire his entire season, we'll see. Maybe he comes back in the playoffs, depending on how long they go. Jake Gensel goes down. You know Jim Rutherford was itching to try and find somewhat of a replacement to try and alleviate that pain on the top line with Sidney Crosby. Jim Rutherford has coveted Zucker's services, like we said, going back to last summer. And it, it kind of fit, It kind of ends pretty well because uh, former assistant general manager Bill Guerin goes to Minnesota, accepts the Minnesota general manager job makes his first trade with his old boss, Jim Rutherford. The Penguins, on the other hand, they give up uh, defensive prospect Kalen Addison. The Alex Gauchenyuk experiment comes to an end as he gets dealt to Minnesota as well, plus the Penguins' 2020 first round pick. 
Jim, let's get your thoughts on what you think of the the player that is Jason Zucker. What kind of uh, what kind of assets does Jason Zucker have that the Penguins like so much? And do you think he'll be a pretty solid fit in that top line with Sidney Crosby as they gear up for another solid playoff push? I think so and hope so. And obviously the Penguins do too think he'll be a fit there. The thing that stands out, his skill set should be pretty good for how the Penguins play. He's 28 years old, so he's not exactly old. He um, He's known for his speed in everything that the Minnesota fans and media and people who watch him say is that he'll generate a breakaway chance or two a game. And sometimes his hands aren't good enough to finish it, but he does have four 20-goal seasons since 2014-15. So he does produce points. He's, he's not a huge power play guy, so he's not a huge high-end point producer, but I think overall, when you look at his numbers compared to left-wingers, he's still 22nd in the past couple years among left-wingers in scoring, so he d- he does score, I think, at a rate that, that will be good enough, but the interesting thing, of course, is to pair him with Crosby, a guy who can get him the puck more, and a guy, if Zucker can stretch the ice with his speed, that the Penguins think will work out pretty well for them, so I think that's the um, key thing to look at there, and then The other factor uh, that is obviously weighing big right now was the trade price giving up Caitlin Addison, first-round pick, and Galchenyuk. Giving up Galchenyuk was pretty much just, you know, obviously clear him out. They weren't going to use him much more any longer. He played three minutes one night and got benched. He's been on ice for seven goals against in the last ten games he played when he's barely playing. So they're just, you know, they they were done with Galchenyuk. They tried him out, didn't work. They didn't like like how he was playing, so he was gone. Kaylin Addison is a boomer bust type of guy. Like I think he'll either probably be a second pair defenseman in the NHL that's pretty good and running a power play and and a pretty good player for a while, or there's a pretty high chance that he doesn't even make the NHL at all. Or he'll kind of his skill set is kind of like a Derek Pouliot, good offensively, a good puck mover, but the question is, can he defend? Is he big enough to do so at the NHL level? And that's a real question right now, so you never know. And then finally, the first-round pick in play. Um, it's going to be a late first-round pick. And if you look back over the years, uh, the Penguins gave up two first-round picks for Marion Hosa, Angelo Esposito, who they drafted the year earlier, and a future one. They amounted to nothing. If you look at Phil Kessel, they gave up two first-round picks. One who ended up getting picked was Sam Steele, who plays for Anaheim now. He's a nice young player, but nothing special. And Kasperi Kapanen, who's developed into a pretty good second, third-line winger for Toronto. And the Penguins also gave up a first-round pick to get Jerome McGinley, and that player was Morgan Klimchuk, who has done absolutely nothing at the NHL level. So I think... um, I'm not worried about the trade price at all. Zucker has a few years left on his contract at a reasonable rate. So that's just the type of player that you're going to have to give up a first round pick and a prospect that's pretty good to get um, because first round picks that are late in the draft and prospects that have upside, but also risk. Those are types of guys who don't always come through and don't always develop like you think they will. So I think it was a fair price to pay, but also a fair price for Minnesota to get so they can kind of reset their their team a little bit, get a little younger, clear some salary and move forward. But I know the Penguins are happy. Um, Zucker's probably going to be the best player that gets traded in the next couple of weeks here. Maybe Chris Kreider if you like him, but Chris Kreider doesn't have 
any term on his contract, and the Penguins and the Rangers haven't made a trade really with each other in the salary cap era. So I don't think that Chris Kreider was ever really going to go from New York to Pittsburgh. So I think the Pens got the best possible guy they could have. They paid a fair price, and they add a guy who's 28 for the next few years who should fit in nicely on one of their top lines moving forward. Yeah, you brought up two really good points there that I want to expand upon. The fact that I like this trade because of not only the kind of player that we're getting, like you described, Zucker, known for his speed. He's a top six guy going to slot in alongside Sidney Crosby and or Evgeny Malkin, um, you know, wherever he, Mike Sullivan, deems him necessary to play. I like it because uh, of the, 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 the control that the Penguins have on his contract. You said three more years uh, at $5.5 million per. I think that's a pretty, pretty good uh, chunk of contract left for Zucker. And if you think about it, Jim, three years from now, you know, you, n- you never say never, but you, you don't know when this this Crosby-Malkin window will finally shut for good. Three more years for a, a top six guy, first liner, second liner c- kind of guy. Um, you know, the the asking price, like you said, uh, a first rounder, a late first rounder. You know, you went into great detail explaining that you know the, the boom bro- the boom bust kind of 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 process that goes in with these late round draft picks. Kalen Addison, you know, you're probably like you said, a boom bust guy. You're, you're going to have to give up something of value in your prospect cupboard to to entice the other team to accept the deal. Alex Galchenyuk, like you said, didn't work out here. Purely a financial move to ship him the other way. Uh, and the other thing too is uh, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talk about how there's you you have to think there's going to be some team out there that looks at Chris Kreider now that Jason Zucker is off the board. The Penguins really make the first big move of trade deadline season. You have to think there ha- there's going to be a team desperate enough that wants Kreider services that will offer a similar package to the Rangers like the the Penguins did to the Wild, except like you said. Uh, Kreider is a free agent at the end of the year, uh, unless the team that's acquiring him has a decent chunk of cap space uh, to uh, convince him to sign with their team past this season. A first-round pick, a prospect, and maybe another decent player could be the package that goes to New York in exchange for Kreider. So uh, really all aspects of this deal I'm a a fan of. I really have no qualms with what the Penguins gave up, and uh, I'm excited for the next three years of, of Jason Zucker. Was there anything else you wanted to add on the Jason Zucker conversation before we head into our, our mailbag segment? No, let's run with the mailbag. All right, we'll head into the mailbag for like for first-time listeners, long-time listeners, any listener of any kind of background. Uh, the mailbag segment is the best segment on the podcast. If you're interested in participating in the mailbag, all you have to do is follow our Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account at Pennsburg Pod. Every Tuesday, I will send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in the mailbag segment. No question is off limits. We love getting all sorts of crazy questions, hockey questions, any question that tickles your fancy. We have a lot of questions to get through. Seven questions, I believe, for this week's mailbag. Uh, Jim, like always, you'll get first crack at the mailbag segment. Question number one comes from Cole Del Vecchio, longtime question asker, and he asks, What's next on Jim Rutherford's shopping list, and what could the Penguins offer other teams? Hey, Cole, good question. Um, They don't have a lot to offer other teams, so I think that's one reason why they're not going to do a whole lot. Um, 
this time of year, you always want another defenseman or an extra defensive body. But if you look at it, if the Penguins were fully healthy on defense, which, hey, who, when are they ever? But if they were, they still have Chad Ruedel and Yusa Ricola as depth defensemen. So I don't know how much more depth you need or is actually attainable. Uh, I'm sure they'd love a defenseman if they could get one, but I don't know if that is in the cards. It does seem like maybe they'll try for something just in case. But um, like I said, that they don't have a lot to give up now. They don't have a first-round pick or a second-round pick this year. So I would adjust expectations accordingly. If they get somebody, it's probably not going to be someone all that great or one of the top names like Brendan Dillon from um, San Jose or Dylan DeMello from Ottawa. I don't think the Penguins have enough to get that. And with their six guys they have, I don't know if there's, they really need somebody who would be playing. So. That's where I think it is, but we will see because the deadline is quickly approaching as Monday after next on the 24th. Our next question comes to us from Sammy Bagel Jr., who says, Do you make another addition to the bottom six? If Gensel makes his way back by playoffs, what lines would you roll? I think this question kind of goes back to what you were describing there in the first part of your first question. Um, If the Penguins do make another move and... For the sake of this question, let's say they add to the bottom six. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a, a really flashy move. I, I'm looking at look at who's out right now: Nick Bukestad, Jake Kensel, and Dominic Cahoon. Notably, Bukestad and Cahoon uh, could very well slot into the bottom six. Bottom six, which would probably kick out Andrew Agazino and Sam Lafferty. I think, really, honestly, if, if the Penguins keep Nick Bukestad for their playoff push and don't ship him out because of the, the, the contract, the, the salary cap hit. Um, putting Bukestad and Cahoon, well, maybe maybe Cahoon slides on uh, the left-wing side uh, of, of Guinea Malkin and Brian Rust. Shit, you could ship Jared McCann. He could become a center. He could become the third-line center. But like the, the point I'm trying to make here is that the Penguins have options when it comes to the return of Dominic Cahoon and Nick Bukestad, whenever that may be, assuming they are fully healthy for a playoff push. I think the acquisitions from injured reserve or really the injury list could be two of the better acquisitions in Cahoon and Bukestad. I don't really know if you're Jim Rutherford, if you need to make, uh, if you need to make a, a, another bottom six acquisition, getting these two bodies back. I really like the lineup with, with Bukestad and Cahoon back in there and fully healthy. So I don't think, you know, um, you know, getting a bottom six acquisition is typically necessary, but like you said, who, who knows uh, who's going to be injured between now and then, uh, if Jim Rutherford deems it to be fit, you know, they have some more salary cap to work with. So it'll be interesting to see if they do make uh, another acquisition for a bottom six player. Uh, the second part of the question was, if Gens makes his way back to the playoffs, what lines would you roll? I'm looking at the lines right now, but the last lines that they iced for the last game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, Zucker slotted alongside Crosby and Hornquist, Brian Rust, Evgeny Malkin, and Jared McCann. If, if Gensel's healthy, I think I would put... Uh, I'd put Gensel back up on the first line with Crosby. Um, I'd probably I'd put Zucker on the left wing of Evgeny Malkin and Brian Rust. I don't want to mess up that duo of Malkin and Rust. Uh, McCann, I'd probably have him be a center. Uh, uh, Bluger, Aston Reese, and Tanev, that's a pretty good line too. Simone, he could bounce in the top six into the bottom six too. Really, I, I don't know. I don't know if Jim, if you call it an embarrassment of riches, but it's probably a good problem for for uh, Mike Sullivan to have if all of these bodies get healthy, if Jake Gensel does get healthy 
at the point in the playoffs, you know, if they make a long enough run, he could uh, make his way back. Yeah, definitely a very deep team. Uh, I'm still personally just not expecting Gensel at all, but we'll see. All right, Jim, our third question comes from at Wolves Grove on Twitter. Will Jason Zucker be an immediate con- contributor on the power play, and do you think he can breathe life into a very inefficient power play that has accompanied the Penguins as of late? I like this question. Uh, I, I'd i like to find out is the answer. Um, Zucker is really good kind of finding a pocket. Our buddy Jesse Marshall at The Athletic had a good breakdown of kind of how he gets open. And Zucker has a good one-timer. He's good at releasing the puck from in close pretty quickly. So that's a good way to score goals. I don't know. I mean, maybe you take Brian Rust off of the top power play right now and get Hornquist in front of the net. And then Zucker can kind of float in the middle with Crosby, Malk, and Latang around the edges. That sounds good to me. Um, I guess we'll have to see what, what they're thinking. Uh, they didn't have practice on Wednesday at all, so I, I think that it's just going to be problematic just kind of working him in slowly, as the team said they wanted to do, because you don't want to just throw him straight to the wolves without him knowing what he's doing out there or knowing what the team expects or wants from him. So it'll be an acclimation process, but a player who has good hands and stuff like that, I, I don't see why you wouldn't give him a look on the power play at some point. All right. Our next question comes to us from Eric who says, how many goals and points does Zucker have to score this year to make us look forward to the rest of his contract? Also, will we ever be a buyer of a first round pick instead of a constant seller? <laughs> um, okay. Well, looking at the first part of the question, uh, in terms of Zucker's point production, um, He's scored 29 points in 46 games so far with a pretty meh Minnesota Wild team. He's going to be slotted probably rather consistently on that top line with Sidney Crosby. Uh, Jim, how many how many games are left? Uh, what, 20-something? Less yeah, than 20? Yeah, almost 30, but... Oh, okay. So, I, I, I'm not good at playing this prediction game, you know... I don't know how long of an acclimation process it's going to take for Zucker to get acclimated to what Sullivan wants from him. Uh, You know, you'd think playing alongside Crosby would be a pretty nice boost in terms of point production. He has 30, 29 points in 46 games played. I don't know what's Jim, what's a good, what do you think a good estimate uh, estimation is if you were trying to gauge the return on what you thought Zucker would do for the remainder of his contract? Um, I mean, I would think overall, I would hope he's scoring about 25 goals a year and 50 points a year. I, that's pretty good considering that he, I don't know if he's a long-term power play guy. So something in that range, I mean, I don't know if he scores five goals for the rest of this year is probably isn't good, but I don't know. I mean, if he scores eight or nine is, is on good luck, then maybe that's, that's that looks better when you see it on, on a stat sheet. But I mean, I I think as long as he's just playing well and and opening up more space for Crosby and, and gets going towards playoffs and that that's really the key more than does he have to score eight goals, nine goals, 10 goals to make this, make you feel good about this. I'd, I'd feel better just seeing him play and seeing if it helps the team. And if it adds something to the team, then that to me, I think is more important than just the pure, how many goals did you get? 
And the second part of the question was, will we ever be a buyer of a first-round pick instead of a constant seller? Uh, I don't think the Penguins are going to be a buyer of a first-round pick until Crosby and Malkin decide to hang it up for good. At that point, you know, you, you kind of just go into complete rebuild mode and, and try and find that next generational talent uh, in, in the first round. I, but yeah, until then, I, I highly doubt you're going to see Jim Rutherford or whoever the general manager is at that point trade for a first-round pick. Uh, Stephen Whitehouse is back. He asks, he asks you, Jim, did the Penguins overpay for Zucker long-term? And after a tired-looking 2018 playoff run and a disappointing 2019 sweep, do the Penguins have a legitimate chance of raising the cup this year? Did they overpay? Um, as I answered earlier, no, I don't think they did. I mean, they paid a decent price with two assets that are pretty good, but you have to give up something to get something. You can't just throw in a few third round picks and think you're going to get somebody really good. So uh, I think they paid a fair price and with the market of what was out there, it's not like there's going to be a Marion Hosa to acquire this year. That's really that kind of high end great all around player. So, I mean, they got a pretty good player that should fit them and help them out. So that's all you can ask. Um, as far as legitimate chance of raising the cup, I mean, yeah, I think they've got a chance, but the problem is you're playing in the NHL where 16 teams make the playoffs and anything can happen. We saw that Columbus beat Tampa last year. We saw all kinds of crazy things. So um, on the athletic.com, I like they have they kind of track the chances of making the playoffs and chances of winning the Stanley Cup. And right now the Penguins have one of the highest chances of winning the Stanley Cup of any team, and it's like 10%. So I think that sounds about right. You know, everything has to go right. You have to get the goaltending. You have to have injury luck. You have to ha get the goal at the right time. You have to get a stop at the right time. And it, that's hard to do. It's not like the Penguins are going to have this great, awesome chance to win it when we're sitting in February at least. So, yeah, I mean, I think they do have a chance, but it's not huge. But, I mean, it's NHL playoffs. Anything could happen. So we'll just have to wait and see. Our next question comes to us from Josh Carnes, who asks, pretty high on my list is seeing Trevor Daly come back and add deep depth for the Pens at the deadline. What do you think it would take to get Trevor Daly back here for a shot at a third Stanley Cup? Uh, I remember reporting in a recent edition of Penn's Points on Pennsburg that Daly was very vocal about wanting to go to a contender for for Stanley Cup, obviously. Uh, Detroit's not going anywhere. He is a free agent at the end of this year, and I think he makes like three, $3.1 is his cap hit. If the Penguins really wanted to, I, I think you know a deal could be swung. The, the problem is, you know, what are you getting out of how, how, how old's Daly now? 36? Yeah, 36 years old. Um, his best years are obviously behind him. He'd be, I don't think he'd be anything more than, you know, a seven or an eight, in my opinion, kind of defenseman. Looking at what the Penguins, assuming everyone's healthy, their defense looks like um, Brian Dumoulin, Chris Letang, you know, Marcus Pedersen, John Marino, um, who am I? Am I forgetting somebody? Am I forgetting another defenseman? Uh, Jack nope. Johnson. Jack, Jack Johnson. John, yeah. And, and Justin Schultz. Yeah, Schultz. So, I mean, I don't think uh, Daly playing. I mean, uh, Daly's played on the left and right side. He's probably more comfortable on his left. I don't know if the Penguins are going to all of a sudden just sit Jack Johnson after they probably perceive him having a much better year this year than his first year in Pittsburgh. 
so I really don't think it's going to happen. It'd be nice to, you know, get the band back together kind of thing, bring Daly back to Pittsburgh in more of a depth role at this point in his career. Uh, they have the salary cap, like I said, but I don't think it, it's it's a priority of Jim Rutherford to go out and add Trevor Daly at the deadline. Our last question for you, Jim's, Jim, comes from Elvis Gervis. I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh, I don't want to jinx it, but if we make the playoffs, who do you think would be the best matchup for Pittsburgh in the first round? Well, it's kind of like I said earlier, a lot of people thought Columbus was a good matchup for Tampa last year, and Columbus swept them, so you never know. I mean, this year, maybe if Columbus gets that three spot, are they a good matchup? Um, I don't know. I, I don't. It could be the New York Islanders, and we see that they've given the Pens fits but the Pens have kind of added some more speed this year around, and could this be the year that the Penguins get the better of the Islanders? I think so. Um, but at the same time, I don't think you'd be really excited about seeing that again. And then in the first round, maybe um, Carolina could be a team that I think would be a good matchup because Dougie Hamilton is out for a long time. He might not be back for the playoffs, and I'm not a big believer of either of the goalies that Carolina has, so... My answer might be the Carolina Hurricanes, but even then, they have some really good skaters, too. So, you know, that that's just kind of the good and bad about the NHL right now, like I was saying, is that everything's just so stacked and so even that no matter what happens, anything could happen. Anything's within the possibilities. Um, what do you think, Garrett, for your – do you see any teams standing out right now that you think would be a good first-round matchup? I don't know. At this point in the middle of February that I can confidently say this team – would be a great matchup. I'm looking at the Metropolitan Division standings right now. The Capitals have 77 points, and the Hurricanes sit in sixth place right now in the Metropolitan with 67 points. So it just goes to show, like you were saying, everything is so tight right now in February. You know, I don't know. You would think there's, there might be a little bit of a drop-off between some of these fringe teams. Maybe the Hurricanes go on a bad streak. They have 67 points. The Flyers have 69 points. The Blue Jackets are at 70. The Islanders are at 72. The Penguins are at 74 points. And like I said, the Capitals lead with 77 points. So just looking at the Metropolitan Division right now, everything is so bunched together. The Hurricanes are a good, I like that as a good opening round matchup. Uh, I, I think, like you said, I agree with you. The, the goaltending doesn't inspire much confidence in me. They're a young team. They're certainly building for the future. Uh, so I, I think, I don't want to say the Penguins could handle them rather easily, but I think that could be a first round matchup that the Penguins could win. Now, granted, I say that, and I thought the Penguins would handle the Islanders last year pretty easily. And we saw how that, how that turned out. So, you know, you don't, you never know what's going to happen between now and the middle of, of, of April when the playoffs start, there's still two more months of hockey to be played. Uh, yeah, the Hurricanes, Flyers maybe. We saw what the Penguins did, the Flyers, uh, two years ago. They handled them pretty easily. Um, yeah, but that, the, those two teams, I guess, are on my radar right now for what would be what would be a, a decent first-round matchup if things go the way they go. Uh, but, Jim, do you have anything else you want to add to this episode of the Pensburg Podcast before we get out of here? No, I think that'll about do it. Thanks for joining us, everyone. You can follow along all season long, stay up to date when new episodes of the Pen the Pennsburg podcast get released. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, 
uh, Spotify, and Pensburg.com. Follow our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account to get notified when new mailbag tweets go up. We love your participation in our mailbag segment. Follow Pensburg on Twitter, at Pensburg, and Pensburg on Facebook as well. Uh, but for Jim Rixner, Hooks Orpic, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.